Welcome to Policy Matters with me, Matt Dixon. I'd usually be here with my co-host Franz Buscher, but unfortunately Franz can't be here today, so I'm piloting solo on this one. But don't worry, uh, I'm not alone. I'm joined today by Laura van der Erf, who's a research economist at the IFS and an expert in the economics of higher education. Hi, Laura. Hi, Matt. So previously in the series, we've been focusing on issues around social mobility and education. And in the previous programme, we spent time discussing kind of non-academic routes into the labour market. So let me ask you first, Laura, what's your view on the kind of the non-higher education routes through education? And kind of by extension, how important is higher education in the UK at the moment? Higher education is extremely important in the UK at the moment, and it's only really getting more important. Around half of young people will have attended HE by the time they are 30, and this has been increasing in the last 10 years. But while this is very high, by extension, that also means that around half of young people are not following an HE route, which means that while research into higher education is extremely important, we should not forget uh, the non-HE routes. Absolutely. And we kind of, as I say, we focused on that a little bit last time and some of the issues with the non-HE route that it's it's very um, diffuse and, and it's quite confusing, uh, whereas HE is much more clearly signposted, much more kind of people understand their different qualifications, different routes through. And as you say, it's it's been increasing in importance and we're getting kind of half of young people going to uh, HE at the moment. And there are many important questions we might want to ask about HE and, and what it does for individuals and, and the economy. And Laura, you've recently been involved in a report for the Department for Education, a research project, uh, looking into some of the labour market returns to higher education. Can you tell me a, a little bit about that report? And it's using a new data set. Can you tell us why that's important and, and innovative? So what this report does is that it provides estimates of the labour market return, which we measure by earnings and employment, five years after graduation, to different subjects, different institutions, and also different degree courses, which is a specific subject at a specific institution. And we compare this to the average degree. So we don't look at people who didn't go to university versus people who did, but conditional on going to university, which kind of degree? Yeah, so which course and which, which institution has different returns in, in earnings and also in employment, is that right? Exactly. Um, in order to do that, what we use is this new, uh, very exciting data set, which has been put together by the Department for Education, called the LEO data, or Longitudinal Education Outcomes data. We can uh, stick with LEO, that's yeah, fine, we won't keep better. saying that. Okay. Um, which basically tracks English students through school, university and the labour market. So we have the full population of English students that go to UK universities, and we link this to their national pupil database records, which is basically a big database containing all their prior attainments for their A-levels, their GCSEs, and also some information on the parents' background. Okay, so it goes all the way from school, all the way through the different levels of education, then into higher education, then into the labour market. That's pretty, so that must be pretty big. It is a very big data set, yes. And what's so important about having this background information? Can't we just, I don't know, look at different universities, different subjects or different courses and see people who went on those, how much they earn and just compare those? Why, why can't we just do that to work out which are the most productive or, or give the highest earnings? Well, we obviously can do that with this uh, data, and we do show these very large differences by universities and by subjects. But part of these differences are not going to be due to actually the impact of the university or of the course, but rather due to differences in the students. 
So for example, in Oxford, we may expect the average student to have very much higher prior attainment yeah. and come from a higher income family. And both these things mean that these graduates would earn more regardless of which university they go to. And hence, the high earnings from a Cambridge graduate may not be due to the impact of the Cambridge degree, but rather, at least partly, due to the type of student going there. So when looking at the impact of institutions and subjects, we really want to strip out that effect of family background, of prior attainment, and compare similar students at different universities and see what does that university add to earnings or employment. Okay, so if we just look at the raw information, we find the usual suspects who we might think uh, Oxford, Cambridge, London School of Economics, these sort of elite Russell Group universities towards the top. Um, but as you say, part of that is down to the quality of, of intake, so the, the quality in terms of educational attainment and other background characteristics. Uh, so what happens, how much of a difference does it make when we take account of those things? And that allows us to look at students comparing like with like, so people with the same attainment, how they do at different places. How does that kind of shake things up? So controlling for background and prior attainment has a considerable impact on these differences. Overall, differences between subjects and between institutions are reduced. For example, if we look at a medicine graduate and an average female graduate, we see that the difference is reduced from 75% in kind of raw earnings, as you said, to only being just above 30% once we take into account the different prior attainment, the higher A-levels of these students. And are there some uh, institutions that maybe in the, if we just did a raw league table, look quite low down does it then affect people move up and down is that what happens people definitely do move up and down um, so overall we still see russell group universities who do very well um, in raw earnings as we would expect do still on average quite well once we control for these background characteristics but the differences are smaller and there is some variation around that with some universities doing less well than we may expect once we control for prior attainment and background um, for example, in subjects, it may change some of the ordering. Um, for example, computer science for women in raw earnings is kind of a below average degree. Um, but once we control for background characteristics and prior attainment, it actually becomes one of the higher earning subjects. OK, so if you've not taken account of the A-levels that people come in with who are doing computer science, if you're um, female attending university, once you take account of that, you actually, computer science does really well for female students. Okay, that's interesting. And what about family background? You mentioned that that has an impact. So uh, how much of an impact does that still have when we take into account uh, the subject that people study in the institution that they go to? If you compare people doing the same subject at the same institution from different family types, is there still an effect there? There is still an effect. So obviously these differences, like among subjects, are much smaller once we take into account other differences between students. But we still see that coming from the kind of richest 10% of families versus coming from the poorest 20% of households um, gives an earnings difference of nearly 10%. And this is amongst graduates who have the same A-levels, same GCSEs, went to the same institution to do the same subject. So these are still quite large differences. So that's a kind of, from our point of view, thinking about social mobility, that's an interesting finding because you kind of hope in a way that uh, going to a university doing the same degree, that this would kind of equalise differences that exist because of family background. But I guess part of the issue is that it's not a causal estimate, as you mentioned at the beginning. It's not, we can't say that this degree causes these particular uh, earnings returns. 
there is uh, a choice going on that people choose to go into different courses. So what's the kind of limit of what we can say with this? We can't really say that this is a causal effect of, of, of one degree on an, uh, as against another. Well, so we get closer to getting a causal effect than any of the previous literature. We control for more background characteristics and we have more accurate data. Um, so these results do significantly expand our understanding of this variation in earnings and how much is that of that is due to the degree uh, versus your family and prior attainment. But you have to indeed think about the fact that a choice of a degree is inherently just non-random. It reflects the skills of people, but also their preferences. So, for example, we can control for these observable differences like having an A-level in math or coming from a kind of richer family. Um, but there's many unobservable traits, such as confidence or really wanting to work into banking, to give an example, yeah. that both affect the degree you're going to do and also how much you are likely to earn, regardless of the degree you're going to do. And we cannot control for these things. So let's think about this. We've both been to university. How did you go about that choice? Because thinking, as you say, it's, a, it's really a, a non-random choice of where you go and what you do. So just to think about it in this context, you know, for, for yourself, how did you choose where, where to go and what to do? Well, so for me, it's probably slightly different as I came from abroad. So I knew I wanted to do economics. So the main resources I had were online resources. So I looked at the ranking of different universities and also at the specific course content amongst different universities. And that helped you kind of think about which one would be most suitable? and Yes. Yeah, then I just chose five universities, as everyone uh, does, and then, yeah, got in. Uh, but, for example, yeah, for someone like me who had to use a lot of online information, information such as Leo would have been very relevant been and helpful. helpful. Yeah, even so if it's not the only thing you're going to use. Absolutely. So when I uh, was choosing university, I didn't have online. Online didn't really exist, right? And so uh, we had university prospectuses. But my choice was very not so considered, I suppose, in the sense that I wanted, at the time, I was 17, 18, I wanted to be a, a journalist. In fact, uh, radio would have been good. So this worked out quite well. But um, I wanted to be a journalist. And uh, my dad gave me advice. He said, you know, if you do... PPE, so politics, philosophy and economics uh, at Oxford, go do that and then you'll go into a job in the BBC. This would be, you know, your route into that. So I thought, oh, brilliant, that sounds really good to me. So uh, that's what I applied for, uh, having never studied PP or E and all my other five choices. In fact, I, I just went for four in the end. <laughs> I thought, a bit of overconfidence, one of those things you can't really measure in, in, the, in the data. I thought I would get in. As it turns out, I did. Not know. I didn't have the information about how popular PPE was. That would have been useful. Uh, but I did get an interview. I didn't go to Oxford. And then all my other choices were related to doing PPE. And I could have ended up with a choice of uh, York or Bristol. And I was all set to go to York. But then came to visit Bristol. Really liked the city and decided, OK, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And so there was a bit of thinking in there. But there was also quite a lot of randomness. And the city was a really big um, attraction for me. And so I think this kind of captures a little bit of what you're saying about how so many other things matter for the decision. So earnings matter uh, and having the information about that's really important. But there's also lots of other factors uh, to consider. So what we've talked about so far is really you're going to go to university and you're trying to decide, OK, what subject should I study? What university should I go to? What about the question of people who are thinking, well, do I go to university or not? It costs a lot of money. Uh, I could maybe do an apprenticeship instead. What do we know about that decision? 
So in the report that just came out, we just look at relative returns. So the differences between degrees for people who do go to higher education. But obviously, as you said, the decision of whether to go to higher education at all is a very important margin. So at the moment, we are actually working on a follow-up report um, where we will be looking exactly at this question and we'll look at the return also for those that currently don't go to university. And just thinking about previous literature in the UK and in the rest of the world, it seems likely that on average there are still significant positive returns also for those individuals that don't currently go to higher education. But there will be some variation by subject, very likely. Uh, and also earnings, as we said, aren't the only thing these students should be considering um, when making that choice. And indeed, so far we've talked in these reports and lots of previous literature have looked at you know, what's the impact on earnings three years later, five years later, seven years after graduating. But I guess when people are making that decision, what they really want to know is the kind of over your lifetime, uh, even after you, you know, when you've paid back whatever it's cost you in fees, is it worthwhile? What do we know about um, that so far? So again, this is something we haven't been able to look at yet. So the people we see, we see them only up to kind of five, seven years after graduation. So that's what we focused on in this report. But again, this is a very important question which we are really trying to address in future work. There's been some previous studies that look at this and they seem to suggest that even thinking about the very long run, lifetime returns, these returns are going to be very substantial. And that's even when, you know, a lot is talked about, you know, the cost of going to university and the high fees. But even when you take into account paying off those fees, the extra earnings over your whole working lifetime more than kind of more than makes up for that and makes it a worthwhile investment. Yes, that's right. And thinking about these uh, returns, we've kind of touched on it slightly already. There's a broader long-term picture about what university is all about, what people get from uh, a degree from a university. So what about the other, the kind of what we call non-pecuniary benefits? How important are those uh, in this research and in assessment? So obviously earnings, as we kind of mentioned a bit before, aren't the only things that are important uh, for people when they make that choice. So there's many other benefits to higher education. So for example, they may be able to access a wider range of jobs or kind of more pleasurable jobs in a way yeah. um, or have more stable employment. Um, and this is something they need to keep in mind when making that decision. And also something to keep in mind when comparing different courses as the pecuniary return, so the return in terms of earnings for a given course, for example, economics may be much higher than for another course like creative arts. But for that individual, they may actually be a lot happier doing the type of jobs they can do with creative arts rather than with economics. Absolutely. I think I, I occasionally do talks for um, secondary school students and talking to them about university and whether it's worth going to university and everybody wants to ask about the fees and the earnings. But I think it's really important to stress that there's so much about university that isn't to do with uh, what you earn afterwards, but is to do with things like the type of job you go into, whether that gives you opportunities for sharing initiative and occupational prestige and job satisfaction, these sorts of things, the kind of social interactions that it gives you. And even aside from the labour market, um, the university you go to, the experience, the people that you meet is going to be different at different places uh, and you'll get other benefits. So I think that's a, a really important thing for people uh, to bear in mind. And aside from, you know, we've talked very much so far about what it does for the individual uh, going to higher education, but higher education is important for the economy and for the government in general. So how, you know, how important do you think higher education is for 
the government and for society. And so if we think of higher education as like a public good that's not just for individuals. Uh, there are sig certainly significant social benefits to higher education. So the first of those, really a benefit to government, follows directly for the increase in earnings we've seen, which also means that graduates are more likely to pay higher taxes and less likely to be in benefits. So that's a very kind of direct, measurable um, return. But there's also things that are harder to measure. But other research shows that graduates uh, can increase the productivity of workers around them, show an increase in health as a result of going to university, an increase in level of social participation, reduction in crime rates, which are all very important social things, but are a bit harder to measure. Okay, so if uh, we think about that then, so there's benefits, strong benefits to the individual, but there are also benefits to government and society. That kind of suggests that uh, in terms of the cost of higher education, we know it's, it, it is costly, uh, there should be some kind of sharing of, of those costs and I think this has been the thinking really for the past 20 years that actually as as more and more people have been going to university like we talked about at the beginning some of the cost of that is going to get split to recognize that society benefits but also the individual benefits and so when we think about that cost sharing and, and the fees it does lead to questions about okay so what does higher education do for social mobility what do we know about the different attendance rates of higher education by social background? So we know these differences are still very large. Um, so the higher education participation rate of those, for example, on free school meals has increased over time. But so has that um, for those not on free school meals, which means the gaps are still very large. So, for example, the most recent numbers show that more than 40 percent of those not on free school meals uh, will go to higher education by age 19, whilst for those on free school meals, this is less than a quarter. So this is a very large gap indeed. Also, if we look at differences by region, for example, um, students living in London are way more likely to attend um, higher education than uh, students in other places in the country. And we also see very large differences in the type of university students go to by socioeconomic background. So, for example, among A-level students, we see that those from independent schools, around 65% of those, will go to the top third of universities. Well, this is only 23% um, for those from state schools. Wow. So that's quite a big difference. And that sounds like, from what you're saying, that there is a difference uh, by background and that actually that hasn't really changed over time, right? So when fees have changed over recent years... Am I right in thinking that that gap hasn't really been affected, that both have been trending upwards? Yes, yeah, so maybe surprisingly, a lot of people thought fees going up to £9,000, uh, applications from kind of more disadvantaged students would drop. We haven't actually really seen this. And the participation rate for these students is actually higher now than it was before the increase in fees. Okay, so if fees haven't been an issue, uh, does that mean we don't have any kind of widening participation issue? Or is it more, it sounds like from what you're saying that actually... The issue is now what types of universities people are going to. It's not, it's not so much going to university full stop. I think it's a bit of both. So, well, obviously, it's a very good thing that there doesn't seem to have been a very much of a widening of these gaps over these tuition fee reforms. Kind of the base level gap is still very large, both in going to university at all um, and the type of university they go to. And as we saw in our report, also in the outcomes after university. So while the gaps haven't increased necessarily over these reforms, there is still a big gap. Yeah, so the gap in going to university, that kind of 15, 16 percentage point difference between the, the free school meal and the non-free school meals, 
So the fact that that hasn't changed, so fees don't seem to be impacting that, does that suggest it's something that's going on before uh, university education? So we've seen in previous research that indeed there is already a very large gap in kind of attainment at age 16, at age 18. And obviously as people apply with those grades, there will kind of mechanically be differences in whether they go to university and the type of university they go to. So kind of differences before actually attending university are certainly very important. So it sounds like from the research that you've been talking about, about what happens afterwards and looking at how attendance rates have changed, that this widening participation and the issue with you know, thinking about social mobility, there's work to be done at the higher education level as to you know why do we still get these background differences by background, but also the kind of input level, the how do we deal with what's going on in, in primary, secondary school to Im- improve that attainment so that people are then in the position to go to university. So just thinking about um, current policy, the government at the moment is looking to produce an app that will give students information when they're coming to try and choose between a different course. So some of this Leo data I think is going to be included, but um, what other things would you think are important for students to know about before choosing a course? I think we've been talking about a lot of other things that are important. For example, we could think about the cost of living in a certain city, whether people actually enjoy the city, which is not something we can put in the app, but very important, um, as you gave an example for you. Um, But things we could include are, for example, the type of teaching, the number of contact hours, which are very important things of the degree, which may or may not directly translate into earnings. So is good information we could provide. And that's information that's already out there around various different sources online. People can go to Unistats has this information. Uh, So it sounds like it'd be a good thing to put all that information uh, in the one place. But I guess, as as you're saying, there's kind of limits to what an app is going to be able to tell us because so many of these things can't be captured uh, just in in numbers and in something you can punch into your phone. Yeah, that's right. And also, often, for example, these differences in earnings are often averages, which may not be the experience of that specific individual so there's variation around that's a point we we probably don't stress enough is that actually all of these numbers about how much people earn this is just the average and there is variation around that and so it's not a case of if you go and do this course at this place to earn 20 percent more than if there's no yeah there's no guarantees and i guess it's a bit of a funny product in a way higher education that it is kind of experienced by the consumer if we think of students although don't feel right thinking of students as consumers but they are if you put it in that language of economics and and, and a product and a market then students are actually producers as well as consumers and there's input from them and how they experience higher education is going to be quite different from person to person and it's not easy to put that into an app and to know that beforehand because there's so many uh, so many different things that said enabling students to make a more informed decision based on the data that is available is still a very good thing. Absolutely. I think we want students to be as informed as is is possible within those caveats about exactly what we can and we can't measure. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the research that we've um, seen recently, but in terms of the future, uh, what should we be looking at uh, in terms of higher education? What we're already going to be looking at is, as we mentioned, a very important question, which is what is the return for people who currently don't go to university rather than relative return to different degrees? And we're also looking at this lifetime return uh, to higher education, which is already a lot of things to get on with. Yeah, that sounds like you've got your hands full. So uh, maybe we'll talk about that again in the future at some point. 
You've been listening to Policy Matters with me, Matt Dixon, and we'll be back with more soon.